It is the 22nd of April. It is sunny out. Yet, I'm still doing this QuackCast. I am so devoted. This is the 89th QuackCast. And is called a spring update on prior posts. A wee bit about raw milk, homeopathy, acupuncture, and placebo. Although I do the definitive podcasts on the topics, new information does trickle in after I release them into the wild. New studies are often not worth an entire podcast, recapitulating prior entries, but new information is still worth a mention. What follows are a hodgepodge of updates on topics I have covered on other quackcasts. First up, raw milk. While pertussis rages just north of the Columbia River in Washington, not Washington State. In Oregon, Washington is the state to the north. Washington, D.C. is that place to the east. Up there in Washington, they are having an outbreak of pertussis. Here in Oregon, we are having a small flurry of infections due to the consumption of raw milk. Not a surprise, since milk is a wonderful culture media, and the udder is just down the gravity well from the cow's anus. Raw milk violates the classic dictum, don't shit where you eat, although I understand the saying concerns dating in its original conception. Although the sale of raw milk is illegal in much of the United States, the law can be bypassed by owning the cow, rather than buying the milk, a reverse of classic dating advice. Such is the case in Oregon, where 48 people are time-sharing the cows responsible for the current outbreak of E. coli. There have been the spread of pathogenic E. coli to at least five people, mostly children, and has led to the hospitalization of three children, although no deaths. Of course, it is hard to get infected. Humans have lived in filth and squalor, as like Minneapolis and St. Paul or Buddha and Pest, two popular twin cities, for centuries, drinking and eating contaminated food and have survived enough to perpetuate the species. Most infections in the past would probably have been from consuming contaminated food and drink. I wonder if the reason fevers are often associated with diarrhea and or vomiting is it is an evolved response for removing infected material as soon as possible. You eat something bad, you get a fever, but you want to get rid of it, so you have diarrhea. Diarrhea must have been awful in the pre-Gutenberg era. I mean, what would you read while you were sitting there taking care of business? The CDC has reported multiple outbreaks of infection traced to consuming raw milk, not that anyone is paying any attention. The results were recently summarized. Quote, the study included 121 dairy-related outbreaks, which caused 4,413 illnesses, 239 hospitalizations, and three deaths. In 60% of the outbreaks, state health officials determined raw milk products were the cause. Nearly all the hospitalizations were in those sickened in the raw milk outbreaks. These dairy-related outbreaks occurred in 30 states, and 75% of the raw milk outbreaks occurred in 21 states where it is legal to sell raw milk products at the time. Consumers can't tell if raw milk is safe to drink by looking at it, smelling, or tasting it. Even under ideal conditions of cleanliness, collecting milk introduces some bacteria. Unless the milk is pasteurized, these bacteria can multiply and grow in the milk and cause illness. 
Pasteurization involves heating milk to kill disease-causing bacteria. End of quote. It is rare to get infections from milk. They estimate that about 1% of milk is consumed raw. That's about 27 billion pounds. Let's see now. Pints a pound the world around. So that's about 54 billion cups drank or drunk or drunken. Let's say consumed, which resulted in about 4,000 illnesses. So that's not a huge risk. Although children are disproportionately affected, about 67%, and E. coli 0157-mediated hemolytic uremic syndrome with kidney failure and occasional deaths are reported. Not that it makes any difference to those who believe in the unproven benefits of raw milk over safer food. Quote, people who drink raw milk tend to be fierce advocates. One person, who posted anonymously on OregonLive.com, said that he or she would not stop drinking milk from Foundation Farm, even though it sickened the commentator and the commentator's two-year-old child, end quote. Like I say, it's probably hard to get infected from milk. It's unusual. And you probably aren't going to get in a car accident, so why wear your seatbelt? Everything you do in life is risky, and it depends on where you draw the line. Personally, I don't like to drink milk with raw cow shit in it. However, the inability to admit error boggles the mind. Even though your kid got sick, I'm still going to give the raw milk. Steve Martin comes to mind. Quote, two simple words. Two simple words in the English language. I forgot. How many times do we let ourselves get into terrible situations because we don't say, I forgot. Let's say you're on trial for giving your kid hemolytic uremic syndrome from raw milk. You say to the judge, I forgot raw milk is contaminated with dangerous bacteria. And let's suppose he says back to you, you have committed a foul crime. You killed your child by deliberately giving them milk contaminated with cow manure. And you say, I forgot? Two simple words. Excuse me. Now, those of you who are older remember Steve Martin's excuse me bit, but I'm surprised how many of the youngsters these days have no clue what I'm talking about when I reference things from the 70s and the 80s. And I'm certainly not going to do a Steve Martin imitation. You'll have to do a different podcast for that one. Even I have my standards. Rhinos and tigers and bears. Oh my. Quote, I would personally kill every chimpanzee on the planet with my bare hands if it meant saving one homeless crack addict with AIDS. Pin Gillette. I don't know. I've met some pretty nice chimps and some remarkably evil crack addicts in my day. I suspect he would be more protective of our evolutionary cousins if it were the choice between the chimps and some of his colleagues on The Apprentice. But perhaps I was reading his body language wrong when he was talking to Clay Aikens. But I would not kill a single animal for any traditional Chinese medicine nostrum. A couple years ago, I summarized the adverse effects on TCM on the environment and other species. It is not uncommon to grind up endangered species and plants such as rhino horn, tigers, and antelope for medicinal purposes. Their efficacy is less than plausible. Rhino horn is basically hair, and it will not even cure baldness. 
But use of TCM is increasing, consuming plants and animals with a galactosian hunger. There is big money to be made in puree of endangered species. Unlike raw milk, which is puree of endangered feces. Uh, bad. Never mind. The issue with many of the supplements from India, China, and the United States is quality control. What is on the label may or may not be what is in the tablet. How can you tell if your TCM nostrum is filled with toxins or a melange of mammals? Modern technology has the answer. Or perhaps it is magic. For as Arthur C. Clarke said, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. And I find the following study to be magic. Are you ready? Quote, targeting both the P-loop region of the plasmid, TRNL, total request live, I think, on NTV gene, and the mitochondrial 16S ribosome RNA gene, over 49,000 amplicon sequence reads were generated from 15 TCM samples presented in the form of powders, tablets, capsules, bioflakes, and herbal teas. Here we show that second-generation high-throughput sequencing of DNA represents an effective means of genetically auditing organic ingredients within complex TCMs. That's traditional Chinese medicine. Comparison of DNA sequence data to reference databases revealed the presence of 68 different plant families and included genera such as ephedra and asarum, which are potentially toxic. Similarly, animal families were identified that included the genera that are classified as vulnerable, endangered, or critically endangered, including the Asiatic black bear and Sagia antelope. Bovidae, Cervidae, and Bufonidae. I guess you could say with Chinese medicine that a Bufonidae keeps the doctor away. No, never mind. Were also detected in many of the TCM samples and were rarely declared on the product packaging, end quote. Now, does that sound like magic to you? Sounds like magic to me. They also found goat, toad, sheep, buffalo, and cow DNA in some of the concoctions. Listed ingredients, when they bothered to list the ingredients, included toad cake, testis a penis calorini, and cow and monkey bezoar. A bezoar, by the way, is an intestinal collection of material. Mm. Remember, it saved Ron when he got poisoned in Harry Potter. So they do have their effects in Hogwarts, but I wouldn't want them in my Chinese medicine. This almost makes raw milk appear palatable by comparison. However, at least they're all dead. At least I assume they're all dead in the TCM. They did not do cultures to see if they could grow anything of interest. Quote, Consumers of TCM need to be wary of honesty of food labeling. <gasps> I'm shocked there's gambling going on here. As in 75% of samples, animal DNA was identified that had not been clearly labeled on the packaging in either Chinese or English. This adulteration of medicine occurred in Sega antelope horn powder, which claimed to be 100% pure yet was found to also contain significant quantities of goat and sheep DNA. You'd think your heroin would be pure? Nah, neither is your TCM. In some TCMs, undeclared ingredients are used to reduce the cost of manufacture of the medicine by increasing the bulk of the powder. But it is impossible to determine why caprine, which is goat, and ovine, which is sheep, appeared in this product. Or maybe it's ovine. Water buffalo, bubbleless bubbleless 
domestic cow, Bos taurus, and deer species were also not listed on the packaging of samples in which they were genetically identified. The inadvertent consumption of undeclared animal products found in 78% of the medicines, such as Bovid, risk violating certain religious and or cultural strictures. Boo-hoo. End of quote. What? I am using adulterated quackery instead of pure quackery? Frankly, consumers of TCM have a lot more to worry about than the honesty in food labeling, as if somehow lying about nonsense is worse than honest nonsense. The take-home is when you use TCM products, you are likely contributing to the extinction of species even when the label on the nostrum appears safe. And you are not even saving a homeless, crack-addicted AIDS patient, much less yourself. Like cures like. Not. Seriously, there probably is nothing goofier than homeopathy. When you understand anatomy and physiology and biochemistry, etc., the concept that like cures like is stupid is as stupid does. But it has been a while since I perused the PubMeds on homeopathy. Regular listeners to this podcast know the fantasy-based premises of homeopathy. Symptoms that cause symptoms, when diluted beyond any residual presence, will cure the disease. Now, most of the time, trying to test this fantasy is a wee bit messy. There are a lot of diseases, but few symptoms. There are a lot of potential variations in fevers or headaches or sinusitis that result in choosing a homeopathic remedy that is, quote, individualized. Despite being fantasy-based, the enormous variation makes it hard to test one homeopathic cure in a definitive way for one illness or symptoms. They do have a lot of wiggle room. Testing like curing like would be a lot more straightforward if it were poisoning. Lead or arsenic poisoning would seem to be a straightforward condition to test homeopathic validity. You would know exactly which like would cure which like. Lead toxicity should be cured with homeopathic lead. And incredibly, such studies have been done. And for lead like does not cure like. What they did is they went to Brazil where they had a bunch of workers in a battery factory and they all had lead toxicity and they gave them homeopathic plumbum metallicum. That's just fun to say, isn't it? Plumbum metallicum. I also like saying Sutsugamushi. Some things are just roll off the lips with joy. Plumbum metallicum or placebo. The plumbum metallicum was 15C. And they measured lead levels in the patients over time. And guess what? Quote, the homeopathic preparation plumbum metallicum had no effect in this study in reducing serum lead in workers exposed to lead. Kel surprise. Although one wonders what they were thinking at the Institutional Review Board at the Federal University of San Carlos for allowing people with lead toxicities to be treated with diluted water. A similar study, this time with arsenic, was done in China. And you just have to love how the informed consent was obtained. Quote, Most arsenic victims were weak and anemic, and therefore concerned about giving blood at regular levels. They were in general frustrated and almost resigned to their fate. They signed the informed consent on the basis of the agreement that they would provide samples of their urine and blood only twice, 
once on the day before starting taking Verum or placebo and two months after the administration of Verum or placebo. So you have this depressed, frustrated, resigned arsenic victim and you're going to give them homeopathic arsenic. In this study, they had a town that had a lot of arsenic in the water. This is a problem in parts of China and in parts of India. So they had a good selection of people in which to test whether arsenic in a homeopathic preparation would cure arsenic poisoning. Half of the 28 subjects dropped out, which resulted in nine people in the treatment group and five in the placebo. So any conclusion about efficacy of homeopathic arsenic would be 200C. The researchers seem to be unaware that multiple measurements in small numbers of subjects with multiple statistic analyses will find something, quote, significant, but they are as meaningless as the underlying premise of the study. One would think that in a town with arsenic in the water, taking homeopathic water in large doses would be of benefit since there'd be no arsenic in that water. But the poor people were limited to a mere 10 drops twice a day. This is, however, a town that needs a massive continual overdose of homeopathy, i.e. potable water. Finally, a real use for homeopathy. And what was really odd is they used an Indian homeopathic preparation. And given the propensity for other Indian scam products to be adulterated with arsenic, I too would be fatalistic if I were asked to participate in that study. You know my communicative law of alternative medicine. Or maybe it's the associative law. Anyway, CAM is placebo. Placebo is nothing. Therefore, CAM is nothing. Several studies out this year emphasize the concept that it is the therapeutic interaction and the patient's belief that is important for the subjective, but not the objective, because there are no objective changes to scams, responses to scams. And it is not the specific scam modality. Two nonsensical scam interventions had the same result this year. The first was homeopathy, where they found the following result. Homeopathic consultations, but not homeopathic remedies, were associated with clinically relevant benefits for patients with active but relatively stable RA. Somehow I can't help but think that a homeopathic consultation should be extraordinarily brief. But still, it was the interaction with the healthcare provider, not what they provided with medicinal medications, not that homeopathy is medicinal, that was important in the patient reporting that they felt better. The other was acupuncture. It has been known that acupuncture efficacy depends in part on how strongly the patients believe it will work. The more the patients believe that acupuncture has efficacy, the more likely they are to report benefit. This was confirmed in a study in the journal Pain, where patients with osteoarthritis were treated with acupuncture, placebo acupuncture, same thing, mock electrical stimulation, and either empathic or non-empathic consultations. The results supported the underlying understanding that the only thing that matters for reported outcomes with acupuncture is the patient's belief in its efficacy. Although one practitioner did have better results than the others, 
And here we quote. Empathic consultations did not affect pain, but practitioner three achieved greater analgesia than practitioner two. The two placebos were equally effective and credible as acupuncture. Needle and non-needle placebos are equivalent. An unknown characteristic of the treating practitioner predicts outcome, as does the patient's belief independently. End of quote. That's why I would love to do acupuncture studies or other alternative medicine studies on a group of people who attend TAM. It would probably make all those people sicker rather than better. And why do I envision Rasputin as practitioner three getting better results? Scams, like placebo effects, are self-deception by the patient and the practitioner. They are in rays all the way down. And again, it shows the importance of a good therapeutic intervention in a study that looked at the effect of acupuncture on the undiagnosed and perhaps undiagnosable patient who all receive a round of supportive acupuncture. Of course, knowing that acupuncture is placebo, it's not ethical to send patients to see an acupuncturist outside of a study. But they looked at acupuncture for, quote, medically unexplained physical symptoms that are common and difficult to treat, end of quote. And they found that, quote, the addition of 12 sessions of five-element acupuncture to usual care resulted in improved health status and well-being that was sustained for 12 months, end quote. It emphasizes the importance of doing something even when you have somebody for whom you have nothing to offer. And it makes for an interesting clinical decision. You come in with fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue syndrome, which I don't know how to treat. Should I send you off to a quack to treat you, even though I know you'll feel better? I don't have an issue with that because it's wrong to lie to patients, but it's still an interesting question. Positive interactions with humans always can be of benefit to improve the quality of life. As I have said before, grooming each other has salubrious effects on apes. The benefit of scams is the medical equivalent of nitpicking without the ick factor of having to eat the louse. Every time I go back and listen to my voice, I notice how high-pitched it is, and I don't have any difficulty in understanding why I am mistaken for a female on the telephone. I need to get more of a manly man voice. Do you think acupuncture would help that? And finally... There was an interesting study out called Clinical Comparative Study on the Influence of Acupoint Sticking Therapy in Dog Days and in Non-Dog Days on the Quality of Life of Allergic Rhinitis Patients. I don't know what dog days are. According to Florence and the Machine, dog days are over. So if someone could let me know what the importance of dog days is, I'd appreciate it. And so ends the 89th QuackCast with my high-pitched squeaky voice. See you next time for another QuackCast. And if you're bored, head over to iTunes and write me glowing reviews. It truly is all my fragile yet ravenous ego requires. Bye-bye. <laughs>